Let's pray. God, unless you speak to our hearts today, nothing of value will be said. So give me your words to speak and keep me completely out of your way. Open our minds, open our hearts, open our lives to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Once, when my eldest niece was about three, she and her parents were flying. Great flying with the three-year-old. She decided as the plane descended that she was done flying. So she began to scream. She kept screaming and throwing a fit the entire landing process and deplaning. My brother had to carry her through the airport as she screamed and kept her body stiff as a board. And in her three-year-old genius, she kept saying, he isn't my daddy. <laughs> my brother walked to baggage claim and then to the car, and she screamed the entire time. Good news, she grew out of it. That little girl is now a senior in college and an absolutely fantastic human being, and she flies regularly without any disruption. They do grow out of it eventually. People don't really like it much when other people scream in public. With children, it's understandable, and as a parent and a pastor, I have no problem with screaming or crying kids in public, especially at church. Your kids are welcome here in any condition, amen? amen. But when grown-ups scream, it's a little disconcerting and less socially acceptable. As a society, we reserve public screaming for certain events, like sports matches, or concerts, or actual emergencies, like if there was a fire or King Kong was ravaging the city. You can scream then. It's not looked on kindly for people to scream outside of these socially accepted parameters. Apparently, the same was true in the first century. Bartimaeus ben Timaeus, y'all. A moment of silence for Bartimaeus ben Timaeus, for the teasing he must have endured as a child for that name. <laughs> Bartimaeus was on the side of the road. Not unusual for someone like him, as I told the kids during children's sermons, someone with a disability like that at the, in the first century um, was not able to hold down a job, not able to go to school, not able to be in regular society. So he relied completely on the charity of the community. And the city gates was where folk could congregate for such assistance. So there he sat. When he heard that Jesus and the disciples were rolling through, he began to scream, Arab David, have pity on me. Everyone around him shushed him. They were not impressed. He was disrupting the status quo. He was making people feel uncomfortable. Really, to draw attention to one's pain is public. in public is bad manners. Plus, he was screaming and giving a bad name in front of Jesus and the disciples to the community. They wanted to engage Jesus, show their best, and this guy was embarrassing them. But true to form, what everyone else thought was a social faux pas, Jesus looked at as refreshing. 
He consistently rewarded behaviors that were outside the social norms. He had no love for niceties or manners for manners' sake. Jesus spoke right to that ill-mannered, strange-named, disabled, social outcast and said, come to me, and then what would you like me to do for you? Instead of getting shy or retreating in that moment, Bartimaeus got up and left his cloak behind. And this is significant to our story. Um, just a couple of chapters ago, remember, a couple weeks ago, we encountered the rich young man, remember him? He came to Jesus claiming that he had fulfilled the entire law and was wondering what he could do next to become, um, you know, to become part of the kingdom of God. He was filled with religious pedigree and social status. He was rich. He was committed. He was the perfect candidate to be a disciple. And yet, he couldn't leave what he had behind to follow Jesus. By contrast, Bartimaeus very well only owned what he had on his back. And his cloak would have been his most costly garment. And it would have served not only as a coat, but also as a blanket at night against the desert cold. And yet, as he jumped up at attention to approach Jesus, he left it behind. His response when he, asked, when he was asked by Jesus what he wanted was also in stark contrast to the other story as well. When the rich young man articulated what he wanted, he asked what it would take for him to be a part of the kingdom of God. And some translations show us that when Bartimaeus, the blind man, was asked, he said, I want to see Jesus. These two stories are fascinating to study side by side because, as you know, the rich young man ended up going away dejectedly, and Bartimaeus didn't even ask. He just started following Jesus. He didn't ask for permission. He didn't see if he was a good candidate. He just started doing it. These stories show a stark contrast between those in privilege and those desperate for healing. It's obvious which person truly got it, what it meant to follow Jesus. He did not say, I want to be normal, I want to be like everybody else, or free me from my disability. He said, I want to see you. And then, without hesitation, followed. Living a normal life was not Bartimaeus's goal. Being transformed by Jesus was. We are all in different places in our lives. Some of us, like Bartimaeus, are more desperate than others. Some of us, quite frankly, are more ready to be transformed by Jesus than others. Let's be honest. When things are going well, we don't really see the point, do we? We're good. That's why the Sermon on the Mount calls out those suffering as blessed, because there is, there is truth we are able to see in the crucible of suffering that we cannot see anywhere else. A window into hope that is not contingent on predictable outcomes or assurances, a willingness to let go of what we have and embrace what God is giving to us, an openness to be moved by the Spirit out past where we've been before. But what if, this morning, we can take a little bit of Bartimaeus's courage and see and move, even though we may be a little bit more comfortable than he is? What if we could do something that the rich young ruler was not able to do, at least as far as we know? I like to think that he did come around eventually. 
What if we could, like Bartimaeus, scream, I want to see Jesus. Just show me. What if we could align ourselves with those who are screaming for help too, and instead of shushing them or domesticating them, amplify their voices and wait for the miracle to come, knowing that the places of deepest need are stages for God's glory. What if we could do with the niceties and manners and instead embrace God's grace, justice, and mercy? What if we took what we own, our riches and our last cloak, and saw that it paled in comparison to what we find in Christ? Peace that transcends understanding grace that is greater than any sin, love that defies the grave. We are Lutherans, so we do not have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of our own piety. Amen? <laughs> we are fully aware that we are sinners and saints. But maybe, <clears throat> rather than thinking that we could do this 100% of the time, as good Lutherans, we can think, what if we did it 50% of the time? What if we're able to live with this openness of heart, with this willingness to follow, with this desire to see Jesus sometimes? I'll tell you what would happen, children of God, priesthood of all believers, simultaneous sinners and saints. We would change the world. The world is changed by the spread of God's love, and it is far more contagious than the Delta variant. I don't know where you are today in your journey, but if you need to scream, scream. If you need to make space and amplify voices, do it. If you want to see Jesus, say so. If you need to let go of your comfort and your certainty and your independence, leave it behind, because there is something far greater awaiting each of us on the other side of our limits, in the place after letting go, in the release after rock bottom and the acknowledgement of our powerlessness, the grace of God. Perfect timing, Maggie. <laughs> Amen.